Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Thanks. Thanks for the hand clap. My shoes are kind of squeaky today, so I was pr- when I was walking back and forth praying this morning, Riley goes, Mom, your shoes are really squeaky. It's like, well, I'm going to have to pray extra loud today. Um, but anyway, so the hand clap helped as I was walking up here. You didn't hear my shoes. Uh, you could be seated. I'm going to use some scriptures here in a little bit, but um, I want to take you on a little journey this morning. And I want you to imagine, if you need to close your eyes for this portion of it, you can. And I need you to imagine something with me, okay? We're all going to take a trip in our, in our little heads, okay? So imagine with me, it's a beautiful, sunny day, not like today. It's not too hot, it's not too cold, but it's just perfect. You're walking through a beautiful garden, Thousands of acres of beautiful, lush, fruitful trees, perfect, perfectly manicured grass, perfectly manicured shrubs that are watered from the mist that ar- arises from the earth, giving exactly the right amount of moisture. It's a place of perfect peace. The sound of a light, gentle breeze rustling through the trees the slight smell of citrus radiating from the orange and lemon trees. With the slight shift of the wind, you catch the scent of hyacinths and lilacs and roses that are perfectly scattered throughout this vast array of perfection and safety. Your eyes glance across the garden, and you see the most beautiful of God's creations, majestically designed horses that are painted with perfection by the brush of the creator. The golden manes of lions blowing in the breeze as they roam the fields in perfect harmony with all the other creatures without any hostility but perfect peace. Brightly colored parrots and blue jays and cardinals, wings spread open, gliding across a bright blue sky. As the sun sets and the coolness of the day sets in, you reflect on the beautiful sights, sounds, and smells that you've experienced this day, but nothing compares to what awaits you. For it is in the cool of the evening that the sound you hear is different from the normal breeze that blows throughout the day. But the sound of the wind at this time is not just the breeze that blows through the trees. No, this breeze brings with it something more valuable and precious than anything this beautiful garden could bring. This breeze is the sound of the presence of your Creator. The one who beautifully and wonderfully crafted you with his own hands out of the dirt from this very garden, molding you, shaping every part of you in his image. The one who desires to talk with you, 
the one who desires to listen to you as you pour your heart out to him. The one who created all of this beautiful, vast paradise just for your pleasure. What you're experiencing right now is his presence. His presence that brings you joy and peace. His presence that reminds you of your purpose, and that is to be with him. As I was praying this past week, asking God, what do you want me to say to the church today? I was praying, I think it was last Sunday morning, and he just said this, remind them of my presence. And I thought, let's, you know, that seems kind of, it's not real deep, but I'm going to obey the Lord, and I want to remind you of the privilege of his presence. The word privilege simply means a benefit enjoyed by a particular person or group of persons. It's a special right. And the right to God's presence is not given to everyone. Yes, the presence of God is everywhere. He is omnipresent. David, in Psalms chapter 139, verses 7 through 10, he said, Where can I go from your presence? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed even in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So God's presence is everywhere, even in hell. No one can escape God's presence, but experiencing the up-close manifest presence of God is something totally different, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. Experiencing that manifest presence of God, that is what Adam and Eve, they experienced in the garden. That's how God intended it to be. That's what Moses experienced in the burning bush. Not everybody had a burning bush experience where God spoke to them out of a bush. I don't know that that's happened since. If it has happened to you, let me know. It's, it's going to be a fun discussion. But this is, the high, this is what the high priest in the Old Testament experienced beyond the veil. Not everybody has or had those experiences. And in the Old Testament, we're going to look for a little bit today, the presence of God was central to everything. It was everything, the presence of God. God gave Moses very specific directions on the details of housing the presence of God. And I want to walk, with you, walk through that with you this morning. So you've probably heard, if you've been here any time at all, Brother Roberts has done a lot of teaching on the tabernacle. My husband has done preaching and teaching on it. So I want to walk through that just very briefly with you. First, you would have, when you come to the tabernacle, you have the outer court or the lower court. And this outer court was not inside the structure of the tabernacle. It was outside, and it was referred to as the court of the Gentiles. Now, in the Old Testament, only the Jewish people had privilege of being a part of all this. So if there was something for the Gentiles, it was very 
outside of, they didn't get in on the good stuff. But it was here that anyone could come. You didn't have to be of special birth or hold a special position. Anyone could come here because it didn't require any separation. There was really no expectation from the people that could come to the outer court. You know, they were your Christmas and Easter people. They, were, they had a reverence for religion, but not necessarily any true commitment to God. There was, they weren't going to go above and beyond. They're, they weren't going to do any more than what was just the very minimum. They, gave, they give no regard for God's way. They give no regard to the cross or redemption. Therefore, they never experience this presence. Then you have the inner court. This is where you would find the altar and the laver. Now, the altar, it was a furnace uh, that would get heated with fire, and there's a grate there over the fire, and you would place on top of that your sacrifice. And this is where the animal, uh, you would place the animal, whether it was a, uh, a lamb, a heifer, whatever beast, whatever animal it was required, um, this is where you would place that. And this fire would burn up this animal, and it would create this very thick smoke. And it was a place of death. It was very bloody. It was very unappealing, much like sacrifice is supposed to be. And this is why, unfortunately, so many churches have turned to user-friendly churches because sacrifice is ugly. Sacrifice is not pleasant. It was bloody. It was messy. It was not a place you're going to enjoy being. And we do. We live in a, in a Christian world today that they want to do away with sacrifice because we want people to feel comfortable when they come to church. And we want people, we don't want them to feel super bad about their sin, just maybe a little well, maybe just a little, but then if they come to us and say that was hurtful, oh, we are so sorry. <laughs> you know, we live in a very user-friendly Christianity right now. Nobody likes sacrifice. It doesn't require sacrifice. We, it's, we can come and we don't want to give sacrifice. We don't want to get a commitment. We can paste a fish and a cross on the back of our car and call it a day. We're good to go. Keep the same lifestyle. Come to church on Sunday. Come to church. You, I mean, you can be faithful. Church attenders on Sunday and Wednesday, and uh, you can even come on special occasions. But I'm going to keep the same lifestyle. I'm not really going to turn away from my sin. I'm going to act the same, talk the same, look the same. I'm going to keep the same mindset, and I'm going to be in agreement with the world. But I'll tolerate the pastor preaching against sin, but I'm not going to change anything about me. No big deal. The problem is when we sugarcoat sacrifice, we make sacrifice obsolete, then we completely diminish what happened at Calvary. Calvary was ugly. I know we, we, you know, we have postcards and Easter cards that have a really pretty picture of, of a sunset and a cross. No, the cross was not pretty. It was not something, the actual, what took place at Calvary was not something you would put on a greeting card. It was ugly. It was messy. It was bloody. A man, a perfect man, was stripped of his clothes, humiliated, left for naked, nailed to a wooden cross by his hands and his feet, 
hung up in the sun, in the heat, the burning heat, suffering, thirsty, groaning, and in pain, pain that you and I cannot even imagine. And when we come to the Lord and we expect that we can still hold on to sin that he died for, our sin put him on that cross. And we want to come to the Lord but still hold on to that sin, we are negating everything that he did. The sacrifice is messy, but it's necessary. Next, you come to the laver. After the altar, you would come to the laver, and it was a large, a large bowl of water. The laver was sprayed with water, and everything was washed there. There had to be a cleansing after the messy sacrifice. There had to be a washing process, and, and you know that this is a type of what we do in baptism. When we come to an altar of repentance, it should be messy. When I've, I've seen some people repent, and they're like, oh, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, and it's cute, and there's not really any tears or remorse. I'm not saying that that don't count, but I'm just telling you, when, you've, when you are faced with your sin, and what it does to the heart of God, it's not going to be pretty. When, you're face, when you come face to face with who you truly are and where you are headed, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be a cute little prayer of, you know, I accept you, Lord, as my Savior. It's so cute. No, it ain't cute. It's messy, and there should be tears there should be tears of gratitude that God's given you the opportunity to repent and that you haven't already lost your life and in a devil's hell. But this is baptism in Jesus' name. After we've repented, we get, we've got to be baptized. There's got to be, and we did a whole lesson a few Wednesdays ago about baptism in Jesus' name. I'm not going to go into it this morning. But when we come to an altar and lay those sins and weights down, after that, there's got to be a cleansing. And we've got to allow the blood of Jesus to cover us. And we do that through baptism in Jesus' name. After the labor, there's the veil. And this is, this is where only certain ones could enter. Worshipers could enter the altar and the labor, but that's where it ended for them. And hanging from the top of the tabernacle was a veil. It was made of very fine linens. If you'll turn to Exodus chapter 26, it describes this veil. It wasn't like a shower curtain. <laughs> it wasn't a, you know, just a, a small thing. It was very... Um, it was very involved, very detailed. So Exodus chapter 36, verse 26, I'm sorry, chapter 26, verses 31 through 34. You shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. You shall hang it from the four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold their hooks shall be of gold upon four sockets of silver, and you shall bring, or you shall hang the veil from the clasp. Then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. 
You shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy. This veil was what separated the everyday worshiper from the one permitted to access his direct presence. Only the high priest could go beyond the veil. No one else could even touch it, much less go beyond it. If they touched it, they would die immediately. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies to offer incense and to sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat, pushing back the sins of the people for one year. It was a very, very important task. If anyone else attempted to go past the veil, they would die. And only if the high priest followed the very specific steps and directions would he be allowed to experience the manifest presence of God. You could, um, we're not going to read it, but if you read the book of of Leviticus, specifically chapter 16, it gives the very specific directions on how the priest could come into the presence of God. And it was here in the presence of God where he would interact with mankind through his mercy. There were directions on how many times you sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, the the type of clothing you had to wear, the very specific uh, types of materials and colors and everything. It had to be just right. And if the high priest didn't do all the preceding steps correctly, when he did go in there, they would tie something onto their ankle because there were many times a priest would go in and he didn't do it the right way and he was killed immediately and they would have to pull him out. It's, it's not a pleasant thing. <laughs> it wasn't a pleasant thing. So what I'm saying to you is accessing the presence of God was not a casual experience. This was not a last-minute decision type of deal. There was, there was a lot of preparation leading up to accessing the presence of God. The priest wasn't going to have to decide, oh, should I take my kids to soccer or go to the temple today? Um, should I, you know, should I work those extra hours that my boss wants me to work or should I go into the presence of God today? There was none of that. There was no, um, you know, I, I just don't feel like going to church today. There was, there was none of that. The presence of God was central to everything. Everything. Every aspect of their life revolved around the presence of God. The most important thing that happened in their lives was getting into the Holy of Holies. The priest wouldn't have to decide on if something else was more important because this was life or death, literally life or death. He knew that if he did not get into the presence of God that day, not only would his life be altered, but the lives of the entire nation of Israel. So it wasn't just about him. It was about all the other people. And as the high priest, it was an honor It was a privilege to be the one who was called to go beyond the veil. Yeah, there was a lot of preparation for it. There was a lot of things that had to be done. But it was an honor and it was a privilege to access the manifest presence of God. Not everyone could experience that. Not everyone got that, 
got to see what happened beyond the veil, to see the glory of God fall the way it did. Not everyone got to experience that. And there was a reverence and a respect for the presence of God. If there wasn't a reverence and a respect for the presence of God, it would literally cost you your life. We've got to have a revival of reverence for the presence of God. This is not a casual thing. I know we take it for granted. And I think we kind of got a little more appreciative of it whenever we had to shut down for a little while. But how quickly, you know, human beings, we're so fickle. (laughs) And how quickly now it's kind of optional again. We've been back in church for a few months now. And now it's like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I've got other things going on, you know. My kids have sports, and, and I know I've been kind of hammering on this the last little bit, especially in ladies' meetings, and I'm not going to apologize for it. If you place that above the presence of God in your kid's life, don't be surprised when they want nothing to do with the presence of God when they get older. Don't be surprised. When you put other things ahead of the presence of God, and you want to go do all these other things, and church is optional, don't be surprised when your kids don't appreciate it. You need to have your kids in the presence of God. And you need to be teaching them how to reverence the presence of God. And I did do a lesson on this in ladies' meeting, but not all of y'all were there. Most of you, the men, since you don't come to ladies' meeting, which I'm glad. We don't want you there. We love you. You're great. (laughs) Okay? But you're not welcome at ladies' meeting. You can have a men's meeting. You guys do men things. Okay. Like eating eggs and oysters. That is the nastiest thing I've ever heard. When I saw that on the, just, I'm not kidding. That sounds awful. Eggs and oysters? Whose idea? Was that you, Brother Sabati? (laughs) Man, men are gross. (laughs) Sorry. I knew men had cooties for a reason. Um, Because they eat eggs and oysters. That's so gross. Anyways. Back to my lesson. Um, <laughs> but we've, we've got to teach our children that this is not a casual place. How many of you were here when Mother Brown was around? Mother Brown, she would let you know super quick that this ain't a casual place. I, some of the kids that grew up in this church, I know my girls, they were recipients of Mother Brown's lessons and reference <laughs> on many occasions. Um, When it was prayer time, if people were talking from over here on the side, you would hear like super loud. And we were like, ooh, Jesus, Lord, we are sorry. (laughs) It's like Mother Brown was warning you, don't make me tell you again (laughs) without having to say it. And how many times she would see kids running and she'd be like, hey, stop that running. How many of you were recipients of that? my husband was. I was grown whenever I got here, so I didn't thank you, God. Um, but there were, there were people in my life when I was that age. She was very much about reverencing the presence of God, and I appreciate that, and I miss that. We need a revival of reverence. We need to be teaching our children at a young age, this isn't a playground, okay? Now, I know kids are kids, But that's not an excuse. 
How about we train up our children in the way that they should go? That's a good idea. I think the Bible says something about that. Train them up. When it's church time, it's church time. It's not playtime. We're not going to feed them a three-course meal in the altar call area or in the pew where the next cleaning team has to come and vacuum up a steak and potatoes that you fed your kid during church. Sorry, that was not in my notes. But there should be a reverence. And the Lord put that into place. Not a pastor and a committee of a church, but God himself put that into place. That there should be respect for a holy God. That when he comes to visit, you take attention and you do what you need to do. And you train your kids. This is how we act in church. This is how we're going to live. This is how we're going to reverence and respect the presence of God. The presence of God was central, and it should be to us. It should be central to everything that we do. After the Ark of the Covenant was, was taken by the Philistines, uh, Hophni and Phinehas were killed in the battle. Eli, the high priest, died because he was obese. <laughs> That's what the Bible says, and he fell off a wall. Um, after hearing, I'm not, like, making fun. I'm just... It's very tragic. But anyways, um, he dies because he hears that Hophni and Phinehas were killed. Those are his sons. And that the Israelites lost the battle and the ark was taken. And the ark was where the presence of God was housed. This is terrible news for the, for the presence of God to have been taken. And so his daughter-in-law, who was the wife of Phinehas, was with child. And she gives birth and she names her son Ichabod. We've heard this. Which means the glory has departed and then she dies. It was not a, a, just a, oh, well, that's terrible news. Let's go about our day. Church was shut down. Ah, uh, well, you know. Can't get to church today, no big deal. No, it was a very big deal. She understood the gravity of the situation. I know sometimes we kind of give her a hard time for being negative Nancy, but it, it was a big deal. It's a very big deal. And we cannot get to the place that the presence of God is optional, that we can take it or leave it. It's not that big of a deal. If we could truly realize the benefits, think about the benefits of his presence, the privilege that it is to experience that closeness. How many Israelites would have loved to have been the one that got to go beyond the veil, the one that got to experience that closeness with God? They would have loved that. Psalm 1611 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life, and in thy presence is fullness of joy fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. These are the benefits of the presence of God. And when we were, can recognize that it truly is a privilege, it truly, and not everybody's experiencing that. It's available to everybody, but not everybody has it, has accessed it. But when we can recognize that this is truly a privilege, being in the presence of the creator, there will come a reverence to it. 
there will come a respect for it. A.W. Tozer is a, an author of many books, and I was reading one of his books this week and came across this statement from him. He said this, I grieve when I come into the average evangelical gospel church. There is so little of the sense of God in it. You never bow your head with reverence unless you have deliberately disciplined yourself to do it because there's not a sense of sacredness. Anything goes. And this loss is too terrible even to be appraised. The world has hidden God from our sight and secularism has taken over. We have secularized worship, the gospel, and even Jesus Christ. I say that it's a great and tragic loss, and no great man can come out of that kind of thing. God may have to sweep it away from us and start somewhere else. The kind of revival we need today is a revival of reverence and sacredness in the presence of God. It should not be that we come in here and sit casually with our arms crossed saying, okay, let's see what happens. That should not be. There may be some that come in like that, but for those of us that are in this room right now, it should not be that way. Perhaps Eve became too familiar with the presence of God, that it no longer was a big deal in her life. Maybe walking with God in the cool of the day was just, it just became another thing. And so the temptation of satisfying her flesh outweighed the risk of not walking with the Lord. And that's, I think about hell. I think about the rapture. I think, I cannot imagine not being able to access the presence of God. Because when the rapture takes place, people, the presence of God is leaving this earth no matter how hard you pray, no matter how much worship music you put on, you will not have access to the presence of God when the rapture takes place. I can't fathom that. And that propels me to live right. That's what keeps me on the straight and narrow. I can't imagine not being able to be in the presence of God, to feel that peace that comes only in the presence of God. And we've got to teach our children in this next generation. We don't hear it enough. We don't hear enough about the rapture. When, when Jesus takes this church out of here, folks, that's it. That's it. There's no second chances. And we better, we better get in the word and we better look, God, how do you want me to live? I don't care what the rest of this world is saying. I don't care what CNN and all them folks have to say about godly living. I don't care. I want to know what God has to say about it because when the rapture takes place, he's taking his presence with him. And I do not want to be here. I do not want to be here. I'm 42 years old. I've lived this life from the day that I was born. And to miss it over stupid stuff, to miss the rapture because of some little offense, because somebody made me mad at church, or because pastor called too many services, or he expected me to be something I didn't want to be, or the Bible said I should do this, but I didn't want to do that. To miss out. How, how much is that sin worth to you? 
How much is that little offense that you've been holding on to for years worth to you? I want to make sure, I want to go above and beyond. If the Bible says that I should pray five times a day, I want to do it ten. Because I want to make sure. Make your calling and election sure. It's not worth it, I promise you. The minute Jesus comes back, you're going to be faced, if you don't make it, you're going to be faced, wow, what just kept me here? That's a sobering thought. It should be. And I hope we examine ourselves and say, you know, that little pet sin, that little thing that I just, ugh, got to hold on to it because I just love it so much. The minute Jesus comes back, how much is it going to be worth then? I never want to be in the place where I cannot experience the presence of God. Our worship in the presence of God on a Sunday morning should be a culmination of what we're doing every day of the week. Perhaps we're not seeing miracles. Perhaps we're not seeing healings and signs and wonders that was promised because the only time we get into his presence is when we walk through those doors on Sunday. Maybe. Maybe we're not seeing what we want to see God do because we're filling our lives with carnality through the week. But we come in here and say, all right, God, show off. Because, you know, he's our little genie in a bottle. That we sit him on a shelf until we need something. And then whenever we want a miracle, all right, God, how come you ain't showing up? Well, how come you ain't showing up? I know I'm a little sassy today. But I'm just telling you, God told me to remind his people of his presence. Because it's getting a little, they're a little too casual about it. I don't want the presence of God to leave this place. And if we don't reverence it, and we don't respect the presence of God, and we're not experiencing it at home and in the car Monday through Friday, we're going to come in here Sunday after Sunday and not see much changed. Experiencing the presence of God in a way that changes me. It should change me. It should change my mind, my opinions, my thoughts. I can't get into the presence of a holy God day after day and walk out and do unholy things. It's impossible. It's, it's not going to happen. But it's got to change us, and it's going to bring benefits. It, and it only comes through intimacy and relationship with him, recognizing that he is my source, He is my source, and the outflow of this relationship with him is what brings joy and peace and comfort and security when things are going crazy. When the struggles are real, you know, we say that, the struggles are real. When the anger is overwhelming, when the fear is almost tangible, when the grief is unbearable. His presence is the answer. Getting into his presence, that is where I find what I need. Whether it's in the car, whether it's in my home, in the kitchen. I have gotten into the presence of God in the kitchen before. Maybe that's why. Those are the days I make really good dinner. (laughs) They're just especially anointed. But 
find no matter where, because the presence of God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. So you don't have to be in here to access the presence of God. It's all about our attitude and our approach and creating an environment where he's welcome. And that can be in your car. That can be in your home. That can be wherever you are. If we'll just take the time to know who he is, he begins to transform us, to change us, to equip us, to heal us, to prosper us, and to provide us with the wisdom that we need. Because you cannot, and I said it a minute ago, you cannot practice the art of being alone with God and come out the same. You cannot do it. You cannot. I promise you. I promise. Cross my heart and hope to die. <laughs> I promise you that if you will access the presence of God every day of your life, every day, you will come out changed. So many people want to come in and one time experience the presence of God and be like, well, that didn't work. That, why didn't that work? Well, it's a daily decision I'm going to get into. I've got to get in. The, when we are desperate enough, we will do whatever it takes to get into the presence of God. And I can't tell you how important this is in the day that we're living in right now. We have got to get in the presence of God. It's going to take work. It takes making some hard decisions and saying no to some people that want to do certain things. It's going to take work. It's going to take laying aside time. And I know, I mean, you could be doing all the things right, not necessarily sinning, but you just don't set aside time to get into the presence of God. You've, if you've got to get up 30 minutes earlier, or if you've got to, you know, cut your workout a few minutes short, or if you've got to cut out your favorite Netflix show, which is probably a good idea. No, it is a good idea, actually. To get into, it's going to take work. It's going to take sacrifice. But it's so worth it. It's so worth it. I find peace that I cannot understand. Peace that passes understanding. Peace when I don't understand because my circumstances are anything but peaceful. Because of the cross, you and I have access to the presence of God. When Jesus died on that cross, the veil in the tabernacle was torn. That veil that only the high priest could get beyond. When he died, the tearing of that veil made a very bold statement that said, all mankind now has access to the presence of God. Don't take for granted the significance of that veil being torn. I think sometimes we pass by that a little bit. But the, that veil being torn was a statement. And Jesus said, now you have access to me. Every man, woman, boy, and girl has access to me. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to come into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We have access. If I were to tell you today that I have a safe deposit box down at PNC Bank, and inside that box there are millions of dollars 
There's jewels and treasures, and there are things, priceless gems, that you can now have. And I'm going to hand you the key to that box. You would be a fool to tuck that key away and never access that box. Something that's going to help you, help generations, I mean, provide for you for 20 generations down the road is in that box and you never access it, that would be foolish. That would be foolish. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that day and the veil being torn, anyone who desires it, anyone who desires it has access to the presence of God. Anyone who's willing to sacrifice. We're not going to skip over sacrifice. You can't. The Lord put it in the Bible for a reason. You, you can't skip over sacrifice. You can't skip over the messy stuff. We've got to come face to face with ourselves. And that is painful. Anybody ever looked in the mirror and thought, "Woo, this is going to be a rough one today. <laughs> I'm talking physically. You get up and you look and you're going, I don't know how this is going to come together. This is going to be a struggle. <laughs> Anybody else but me? I know you guys are perfect. <laughs> I mean, you wake up looking glorious, right? Yeah, I don't. Um, but when we come face to face with ourselves internally, with our sins, and when we look and see that we are a wretched sinner and that we really don't deserve the mercy and grace of I don't deserve it. I've done nothing to deserve the mercy and grace of God. How many times have I actually spit in the face of God's mercy because I keep going back to the same stuff that he has forgiven me for? When we are faced with who we really are, there should be a humility it should drive us to an altar, and it should drive us to some messy conversations with the Lord. There's, there should be some tears. There should be some snot flowing. There should be some, some real, real conversations with the Lord. I, let me just tell you, I know I'm not trying to bash other religions, but I'm so glad I don't have to confess to a man. Woo, Lord. Let me just tell you, first of all, that man has no power to forgive me. He has no power, and we can do a Bible study on that if you'd like, but not right now. I am thankful that I can go to a merciful, perfect God and say, God, all right, I am a mess. I am a wretched sinner, and his grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. He can handle it. If you're scared today that you don't want to come to God with your mess because he, can't, he can handle it. He's God. I mean, he said, let there be stars, and we have millions. He, he kind of has things under control. He can handle your mess. He's so merciful. So if we try to skip over sacrifice because we're worried that God can't handle it, or that he won't forgive us, the word of God says he is just and he's faithful to forgive. Doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter. But we have to humble ourselves 
That's the hard part as human beings. We deal with pride so much. And some of us have that, you know, that um, false humility, which is actually pride. You know, if somebody says, I am so humbled, I'm just so humbled. I, me, 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 I, I, woo. Okay. If your vocabulary consists mostly of I and me, we need to maybe pray for some humility. It's all about him. When I talk about myself, I was a wretched sinner. I was messed up. I have, my heart is deceitfully wicked. But his grace, his mercy, his ways, we've got to put the attention back on him and on his presence. It's in his presence that there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. The joy we find in his presence, the peace that weight being lifted off of us. The Bible says to lay aside every weight. Have you ever tried to run a race with weights? Have you ever tried to walk with weights? Have you ever tried to lift a weight? <laughs> For some of us, it's a little more difficult than others. Weights are not comfortable. They're not supposed to be. But when we lay aside those weights and that sin that so easily, I mean, easily, <laughs> how easy is it to fall into sin? It's pretty easy, unfortunately. That so easily besets us. We, we lay that aside, that feeling of just, ah. how many of you remember that feeling? When you were washed in the blood of Jesus when you came to an altar and you recognize that God just forgave you of all that mess and he threw it into the sea of forgetfulness, he don't even remember it, that weight that is lifted, I mean, that's priceless. You can't put money on that feeling, that weight that is lifted, that peace that comes. Second Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Say it again. Liberty. There's freedom. Freedom. Oh, man, we, I see so many people who are so bound. You know people. You may be one of those people or you may have been one of those people who were bound. You couldn't get through the day without another drink. You couldn't get through the day without another pill to pop. You couldn't get through the day without looking at something that was really inappropriate. You were bound. You were bound by anger. Every response, everybody had to walk on eggshells around you because the anger was just bubbling over. You were bound by sin. But in the presence of God, when you access that presence of God, there is liberty those chains are loosed from your life. Why wouldn't we want to get in the presence of God? Why wouldn't every single day would I not want to get into the presence of God? I want to experience that liberty. Acts 3.19, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from where? The presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing, and I know we've talked about it. There's been some really dry seasons in some of our lives. That time of refreshing, that only comes from the presence 
of the Lord. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. He's going to lift you up in the presence of the Lord. I want us living hope to experience this presence of the Lord every day, not just Sundays. Because, see, if we're doing it, if we're getting into the presence of the Lord Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, when we come in here on Sunday, we don't have to pump and prime to try to get people to worship. We don't have to cheerlead. We don't have to be like, okay, y'all, let me try to convince you that it's a good thing you're here today. There wouldn't have to be that. People would be running through the door saying, let's do this, ready to go from the minute they walked in here. And they'd be at Sunday school. <laughs> I'm preaching to the choir now because y'all are in Sunday school. But we, there wouldn't have to be this 10 minutes uh, into the service. We finally start feeling our, you know, the Lord. And now we're like, okay, now we can have church. No, we would come in here ready to roll. We've got to remember that it is a privilege. And if something is a privilege, you need to access it. So I want us to stand. I want us to pray. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m., Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait.